0: but my philosophy is very simple when you see something that is not right not fair yeah. not just say something do something get in trouble, good trevor necessary
1: trouble. strength of solidarity the strength of solidarity Divided is our nation, combating and fighting hatred. The mission, should you choose to accept it, is fighting racist. Psychology's just a space where we run in our simulations. We load you up with the tools, then we plug you into the matrix. So have a seat on the couch. Now tell me your situation. Take a look in the mirror, be honest, just who you're facing. marginalized as a youth, what challenges were you faced with? Feeling you wasn't equal, told that you wouldn't make it. Your idea isn't real, got you constantly trying to fake it. Hiding behind masks in the closet till you can't take it. Getting harder to someone choking you on the pavement, unspeakable violence attacking you because you Asian accomplices we accomplish through collaboration, engaging, educating, evaluating one another, liberating the future of all our sisters and brothers in power and elevating all communities of color. Strength and solidarity. The strength of solidarity.
2: Solidarity Podcast is a conversational piece that invites scholars, community activists, leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs to discuss their work as accomplices in cultivating cross-racial ethnic solidarity. Hosted and produced by Puja Mami Dana and Dr. Dana Deminari, It strives to engage, educate, evaluate, and empower communities of color, one episode at a time. Our guest today features dr richard lee and his elder brother mr martin lee they are the authors of the comic strip the other ones by lee
3: dr richard m lee phd is a distinguished mcknight university professor and distinguished university teaching professor in the department of psychology and asian american studies program at the university of minnesota He's director of the Asian American Studies program and co director of the Counseling Psychology Training Program. Dr. Lee is internationally recognized for his contributions to the psychological study of culture, ethnicity, and race, um, with a specific focus on experiences of discrimination, ethnic racial identity development, acculturation, and socialization of Asian American immigrant, refugee, adopted, and U.S. born youth and families. Outside of teaching and research, Dr. Lee and his artist brother Martin Lee have collaborated on a daily comic, The Other Ones by Lee, giving voice to the experiences of youth and families of color. They recently published a book on the first year of the comic.
4: Martin Lee, cartoonist The Other Ones by Lee. Martin is the middle of three boys born in the summer of love, 1967. He is a second generation Korean American raised in the suburbs of Connecticut. He presently resides in Pensacola, Florida. Following in the footsteps of his father, Martin had an early start in commercial advertising before returning to school in his late 20s with an emphasis on social justice and education. The majority of Martin's adult life has been spent as an early childhood and elementary school teacher. In 2017, Martin retired from teaching, began life as a farmhand, and started focusing more on his art. In the spring of 2021, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the rise in anti-Asian hate, Martin created a comic character modeled after his younger brother. For the first time in his life, Martin had drawn a character that looked like him. What followed was the creation of the daily collaborative comic strip, The Other Ones by Lee, with his brother Rich. It has been a journey of healing, reconciliation, discovery, and growth.
1: Hello, hello, welcome. Morning. Good
0: morning. Morning.
2: Good morning. Thank you for being here and um, welcome to our podcast, Strength and Solidarity. Um, so our, today our guests, are Dr. Rich Lee and his brother joining us, Martin Lee. So our goal for this podcast is to honor our roots and amplify the art of storytelling, much like how knowledge and wisdom are passed down in our communities. We'd like to pay homage to our ancestors, our grandparents, our elders, our parents, aunties, uncles, and anyone in our family and our chosen family. We'd love for our guests to share what is important to them and for us to know what led them to their life's journey as a healer, scholar, teacher, leader, activist, artist. So um, anyone can go, um, but we just like to know what, what led you to your life's journey as, um, you know, your chosen professions?
0: You want to go first? <laughs>
5: <laughs> um, I guess my chosen profession as a
6: psychology professor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this actually somewhat ties into uh, the stories that we share in our comic. Um, so in high school... I uh, was going through a lot of questioning of my identity and, you know, struggling with my family a bit in terms of acculturation challenges between my parents and me. And Martin has his story that he can share as well. It ties in with 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 my experiences. Um, but I, I ended up spending a lot of time in the guidance counselor's office because I kept getting sent down there from classes by teachers for being disruptive and questioning authority. So I, I really liked my school guidance counselor. And and so then when I went off to college, I thought, Oh, maybe I'll be a a guidance counselor and being a psych major is a good sort of way to go. And then, um, after I finished college, I, I, was starting to look into graduate school and I thought oh maybe I want to be a guidance counselor and then I learned that what a guidance counselor really does is not what I thought <laughs> um but I still like the idea of of psychology and I I met with some professors and one of them asked me some questions about what I wanted to do and and how I thought about psychology and he said oh you should go into counseling psychology and so that's what I did. I just applied to a few programs and got lucky and got in. And when I got to grad school and was trying to figure out my next step, next career move after my advisor, I said, Oh, I, maybe I'll teach at a community college or a small liberal arts college. And he said that um, he wouldn't write a recommendation letter for me unless I applied to research universities as well. And so um, I did. And, you know, got my first job at University of Texas at Austin and then moved to University of
5: Minnesota a few years later. So that's sort of a quick chronology of of how I got to where I am.
2: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I can kind of relate because the reason why I got into the field also was not because of my guidance counselor, but school counselor, because I was also dealing with things at school and transitions and she inspired me in wanting to, you know, be there for other people and kind of do that. So it was nice to hear that. Um, you had that inspiration from your guidance counselor and then you looked more into that. What about you, Mr. Martin?
0: Uh, well, you know, childhood-wise, similar to Rich, um, you know, growing up as one of the few people of color in our town, Um i think pretty much aside from our cousin and uh, a few other kids um you know struggling with my identity you know this is all stuff i didn't really know at the time i know it now um but looking back you know uh trying really hard to assimilate into white america um you know because you know when growing up when you're when you're young if you're different, you get made fun of. Yeah, you get bullied, you get teased. Um, so th- the w- easiest way to combat that is to assimilate as quickly as possible.
5: Yeah.
0: Um, so you know, like when we were little, we spoke Korean, but once we started school, that just went out the window. Um, and you know, we could understand what our grandmother was saying to us, you know, but our communication skills just, it, you know it's almost like a, uh, like slang. Yeah.
5: Uh,
0: it's like how people speak, speak Spanglish or something, you know, like they just kind of add a, a vowel at the end of a word or something. You yeah. Know? It's and,
2: conversational uh, to get by.
0: Uh, yeah. So, you know, I found myself, you know, like there were certain phrases that I would say over and over again, you know, and that's just kind of became our, my way of speaking with my grandmother. Um, but so, you know, assimilating and, you know but at the same time, still knowing that I was very much different from all my peers um, and so when I graduated high school, I was you know dealing with a lot of issues um you know looking back now r- recognizing that you know I was going through some pretty heavy depression um and, and you know after graduation, I went off to school and stop i you know i was there for a month and i think i went to one class um and just found myself sitting on my window ledge looking down and just wondering you know like would i die if i fell you know and dropped out of school um and shortly after that a few months later i found myself driving my car into a telephone pole and miraculously survived without a scratch but uh was taken to a uh, psychiatric hospital um i was 18 years old and the adult ward was full and they asked for my permission to put me in the children's ward and so you know I was yeah. not really in a you know a good state of mind, and I agreed yeah. and was put in yeah. this children's ward with children who were you know seven, eight, ten, twelve years old, and I was eighteen, and I was like you know an adult
5: mm-hmm. um, and in our group sessions, I remember um this
0: young girl who was probably about maybe ten or twelve and she had been in and out of this hospital her entire life from the time that she was two to 12 and having experienced you know sexual abuse from her family um and i'm listening to these stories of these children
5: and you know it it made my problem seem very small in comparison um
0: so when I got out, I decided that I did not want any child to have to go through that sort of pain.
5: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, not only the pain that I was experiencing, but the pain that these children, I mean, damn, they were children.
5: Yeah.
0: Um. So I started teaching at a school for emotionally disturbed, learning disabled, and autistic children. Um, And... That was I think where I thought I had discovered my path, you know, um I was the only male that worked there, and i I remember uh my job was to basically um physically restrain the children when they got out of hand, yeah, you know, so I was called the teaching assistant, but I was really just kind of there to put them in the timeout room, and like literally putting them in a closet and locking the door. Um, one day I was in the hallway with one child and we were trying to go through some sort of worksheet or something. And, you know, this child had, you know, father was in prison, mom was a drug addict, seven years old, seven years old. And he spit directly in my face. I'm 18. I'm just out of high school. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I just looked at him and I said, "You know that doesn't bother me. If you want to spit at me, you can spit at me." And so I opened my mouth, and he spit directly into my mouth. Oh my wow. gosh! And I just stared at him, and I swallowed it. Oh.
5: Wow. And he looked at me, and. I didn't realize it at the time, but
0: in that moment, I was the only adult male in his life who Mm. didn't
5: leave. I stayed. And so he just stopped and he did his worksheet.
0: (laughs) And I don't know if somewhere in there, it just kind of dawned on me that if I can see the child and they know that I see them, yeah then i can be effective and so through a whole series of events i ended up becoming a school teacher you know i had my own preschool and i did all that and then i became a teacher and um worked with kids for 25 years and then i just i couldn't do it anymore um the kids were different it's about seven years ago
5: mm-hmm.
0: um i had a first grade class and they were a wonderful class but the yeah this new generation of children that were coming. I wasn't sure that I, you know, being nearly 50, if I could actually meet their needs. And and Mm -hmm. I felt like they needed a younger teacher, um, along with a whole bunch of other factors. But um, so I stopped teaching, and I started working on a farm. And then uh, our world just kind of You know, with the murder of George Floyd, Mm -hmm. the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, um, COVID. And I just found myself just kind of spiraling, you know, not really even knowing that I was spiraling, but just not very happy with things Mm -hmm. um, and having having a hard time. So I started drawing again, like what I used to do when I was a kid, you know. I've been making art all along, but I actually started actually drawing and uh started doing some animations and I would send them to Rich. I would text him, hey, look at this animation I just made, and you know. And then uh I heard a podcast where this cartoonist of color was drawing, and his son came up to him and said, How come you know you don't draw people that look like us? Wow. And I'm listening to this podcast as I'm drawing, and I realize that I'm drawing white people.
5: <laughs> mm.
0: And I realized I've never drawn anyone of color. Mm-hmm. So I drew a little comic of Rich <laughs> and I sent it to him um, based on an experience that we had when we were children. And um, it was it became my way of dealing with all these things from my childhood um it just so happened that our world or portions of our world were now ready and hungry for this material yes for for their voices to be heard and so you know i've gotten since the comic has started i've gotten numerous messages from people of like thank you for creating this now i can see myself now i can show my children you know and and that sort of thing so all of that brought us both to where we are right now um there's so much more but that's kind of all of it in a nutshell
1: (laughs) no i i really want to thank you both i mean like I, i mentioned earlier i was rereading the book um and it just brought forth so many mixed emotions you know um experiences as immigrants like being in an immigrant family it's like oh my gosh I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for this. I, I really, I don't know. This is definitely something that we need. And I love that it's inspired by Peanuts, <laughs> you know, the comic strip. And um, yeah, I, I truly appreciate this. But I was thinking with back on what you said, Martin, regarding the uh, the spitting incident. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that that is so symbolic you know, you, sw- it's almost like you swallowed that child's like pain and then like he- you yeah. stayed yeah. there.
0: Yeah. I, I don't even know what made me do that. <laughs> you know, like I, again, I was, you know, I was 18 years old. I had no experience working with children. You know, they hired me, I think, because I told my story to the director. And cause originally when I went into interview, she was like, you have no experience. We're not going to hire you. You know, and I broke down in tears, <laughs> you know, shared my whole journey with her. And I was like, I need this job,
5: mm.
0: you know, and she hired me and then, you know, it it became what it became. And, you know, I, you know, all those children from, you know, that young girl in the hospital to that boy in the school mm. has informed everything that
5: I've done in that. I mean, you know, they're children. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. And, you know, like you might not have had experience for the job, but you had that drive, you had that passion, and you, you know, through, you you are you both are healers. And, and just through that story, like when you were 18 years old, to have that ambition to be like, hey, they're just children. I want to do something for them. I want to be there for them. And I want to, you know, help right. be their strength and like identify what their strengths are. And I've worked with, assist, um, I was an assistant therapist as well um, with autistic children. And it, it's, it's really tough to... Um, mm-hmm understand what their emotions are, how they're expressing themselves, and it's all through non-body language. So um, thank you for sharing that with us. And it's truly, truly inspiring. And I love how you also segued us into, you know, you you tell your story so beautifully. So we got to see a glimpse of what, what that person would have been when you were 18, trying to share your story then. I love how you painted the picture of what even led you to The other ones by Lee,
1: the comic strip, Mm -hmm. and like where we are in the present. Yeah, definitely, being a healer runs in the family. Uh, There's
5: irony in
6: that statement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think when you experience a lot of trauma, (laughs) you have only a couple of other ways to go in life. Um, It's funny because, well, first of all, I was giving the sanitized short version of of how I got to here. Martin gave the much more uh, lively. <laughs> Deep rich explanation <laughs> um, or story. Um, but I, I did want to add that, you know, the other crazy thing about our relationship and the way we do our work and, and also our dynamic in general is you know the stories that Martin just shared with you all in um in the first 10 minutes of our podcast interview. Uh, probably 80% of it he had never shared with me.
5: So hearing it for the first time right now. Um you know that's and the, that's, that's that's the Korean that's, way. That's the Korean <laughs> way. That's yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's you know I think that's partly why the comic
5: works is that it's, we're trying to do share stories and
6: experiences that are often felt and lived,
5: but not, you know, spoken. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, you know, um, you know, not wanting to see pain and
0: wanting things to be the way that we were taught, I guess, in a certain sense, you know, like, you know, you know, like, you see all this suffering going on, and, you know, but you're taught that, like, you know, um, I don't know, to, to, like, minimize it, or I don't know, I don't know the exact wording, but, You know, like as a young person, you have this strong sense of social justice and what's right and what's wrong, and you're seeing all this wrong happening, and you want to correct it. You know, but we didn't have the tools to be able to express it or work with it. And I think it's the thing that has given me hope. You know, looking at Gen Z is that they feel the same things that I felt when I was 18, except now they have these tools. You know, to reach all around the world you know and their voices are heard much more than our voices were you know and and so like you know through the comic it's like creating this narrative that you know has not been shared
5: Mm -hmm.
0: you know that uh you know the immigrant person of color experience was not something that we grew up with. And if we did on television or entertainment, they were all mm-hmm. stereotypes,
5: Yeah, you know?
0: And so there's all this shame growing up of like, geez, I, you know, wax on, wax off, this, that, the other thing, you know, like, this is, this is who I'm supposed to be.
5: Yeah.
0: Um, And, you know, well, yeah, yeah, go ahead.
6: Well, no, I was just gonna say, and then the the other layer to that at the family level is the fact that in an immigrant family where English is not your first language, mm-hmm. but English is our first language. And there is this language barrier gap between us and our parents. And I think they were trying to socialize us to prepare us. And and in many ways they did model the right behaviors that, that spoke toward fairness and community and inclusion. But they didn't have the language in English mm. to match it, yeah. and so we didn't hear in the words that we were needing
5: mm-hmm.
6: to reaffirm what we were seeing in their behavior in terms of all the things that they did in the Korean immigrant community to help build it up and supporting people and ensuring people were living a good life and 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 thriving as best they could. But we didn't necessarily get that validation in words. Yeah. Right. And so as a kid, you're having to then try to figure it out. But then the media and the school and your community neighborhood is is sending these other counter narratives that you start yeah. to buy into.
5: Yeah.
6: Right. Um and so then what do you do? I don't know. Maybe like, yeah, you literally, you know, um you swallow that spit, <laughs> you know, and you internalize it and and You know um you don't realize how much you're being affected
2: yeah and i think i think you like i mean even like a few minutes ago when you shared that this is the first time you were hearing some parts of that narrative um from mr martin i think it also speaks volumes to just kind of like how you said how We've been socialized from Asian families where if we're going through something, we push it under the rug or like you have food on your table. So, you know, like we don't talk about our emotions. We don't show our emotions. So from a young age, like we're seeing our communities and our families like immigrant parents also kind of dealing with those nuances and the ways they do. So much of that internalized messages that we get when you said that you didn't get that validation. I come, I come from a South Asian, South Indian family, very orthodox. And that's something mm-hmm. as an adult, I've learned to make peace with, but sometimes I I find myself like looking for that validation from like my father and I'm in my, mm-hmm. my oh, thirties.
6: But, but I do want to say, I mean, I don't want to essentialize our cultural customs and practices because I uh,
5: think
6: I do think, our parents were trying to validate and mm-hmm. it was in a yeah. way that was not being aligned with how we were wanting it because we are, yeah. we're growing up in this country. We're looking at our white yeah. friends, and how they get validated and we're wanting to be validated the same way. Our parents were validating us. Yeah. They were trying to socialize us, Yeah, but we couldn't align.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes.
6: You know, and I think that's important because I I don't I think it is easy to say, you know, we were wanting this and they weren't giving it to us. They were trying to give it to us.
2: And I'm glad I'm happy you said that, because when you were like sharing about that earlier, it, it made me think of, you know, our parents, our grandparents the way they express and show their love, like their love languages is more like actions speak louder than words. So it could be something as simple as like, you know, um, very non-verbal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so for me, like when I have exams, my dad will come drop food or like will cut like fruits for me (laughs) or like things like that. So I'm really happy you, you shared that perspective that they were they were they were doing it in their own way and it it was just a, like from from what you know they've been given and also like what they're able to do for us so thank you for sharing that
0: yeah i i think one of the ways that our uh parents tried to show that was um they would always every time i went somewhere out with my friends on a trip or whatever um The last thing they would always say is not, I love you, which they've never said. Um, Even to this day, I just talked to my dad a couple of weeks ago and I said, all right, love you, dad. And his response was, uh.
6: (laughs) That's why you had, that's why I had to train our parents to say that back to me. I would say, I love you. And then there would be silence. And now you have to say, (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll wait and then yeah. that you know so
0: yeah but their way i think of saying that um throughout my entire life was to say make sure your life that was the last words they would always say make yep. sure your life
5: Yep.
0: you know and you know make sure your life is basically you know i love you do good things, do good work, be a productive citizen. You know, like yeah. all mm-hmm. the
6: things that don't get her pregnant. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right.
0: All the, all you know, make sure your life and and um, it, it took me a long time. Yeah, to understand that. I I still wrestle with it. You know, and I mean, you know, and all that has informed who I am as an adult and how like, you know, like I've had my struggles as a parent, you know, like, yeah, I say I love you and everything, but I'm, I'm, I was far from a good parent. Like, you know, I I could have done so much better. Um, you know, because like, I didn't have that around me. I I didn't know how to deal with all those issues and challenges. And, um, you know, and that, and that partly is, you know, a lot of that is because of, how I chose to lead my adult life, you know, which we can get into a little bit later. But you know, like Rich, Rich stayed, you know, close by the family, maintained communication with our parents, and I took off for the West Coast for nearly thirty years. Yeah. Um. And it hasn't been until recently that Rich and I have actually started talking again.
6: You know. And so I Only saw you know, when, when we do interviews. <laughs> otherwise we only text yeah this is literally (laughs) that's our creative (laughs) process is all by texting and the only time i ever actually talk with him is for these sort of interviews yeah true state that's a true statement
2: (laughs) well
1: so what was so what was your childhood your relationship like prior to this creative process
6: well i th- we should explain that um you know there are three brothers in our family yes
1: the so oldest one our, right our, we
6: have a yeah you know, my parents immigrated and sort of my dad came in 1964 mm-hmm. on a tourist visa and um his sister was already living in this in connecticut where we ended up residing um she had married a korean man who have, and their family side is a whole different sort of fascinating <laughs> story for another day. But my dad came to visit her on a tourist visa. And then while he was on that visa, he hustled and hustled to look for work and was lucky enough to f- get a job by chance in many ways um, for a small business owner who did advertising. Mm -hmm. newspaper print advertising and he was willing to sponsor my father on a visa that was before the 1965 immigration act so my father had to get an exemption um that was very rare back then uh in fact he was telling me the story that he doesn't even have the proper type of documentation when you immigrate Mm
5: -hmm.
6: Um, he's just got a letter from the state department essentially Um, but he immigrated and then, uh, like a year and a half, two years later, um, our mom and oldest brother immigrated and joined my father. So my, our oldest brother was probably four or five at the time, and he's six and eight years older than Martin and me and Martin's two years older than me. So we have an older brother, but in some ways he was because he was six years older than Martin, eight years older than me, Martin and I, I think, kind of grew up more together. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah.
6: Mm-hmm. Um, especially as we, you know, by the time my brother, our oldest brother King was in high school and then college, we were we're still navigating middle childhood and adolescence, you know? Um, so in some ways, I think we we had our separate groups of friends throughout our lives, but we were closer up until probably 10, 12, middle school, high
5: school,
6: middle school, I think is when, you know, I remember as the youngest child, my side of the story is I, you know, you remember like when you're suddenly excluded from hanging out with your brother. Right. And I know this because this exact same thing is happening with my two boys who are 11 and 13. And our 13 year old is now like, I don't want you, younger brother, mm-hmm. to be with me. <laughs>
0: I, I don't remember doing that ever.
6: <laughs> I'm, I'm very inclusive. <laughs> yeah. And I think in high school, we were very different.
5: Yeah.
6: Um, you know, we initially I tried to follow in his footsteps in some ways, but then I found my sport. He found his sport. We had very different kinds of friends.
5: Mm-hmm. Um,
6: yeah, we went
0: to the same high school but you know it's funny I I think back now it's like I don't think I ever remember seeing Rich in the school. You know <laughs> you know cuz you know when you're when you're an upperclassman you have your own area of the mm-hmm. cafeteria you have your own
6: area I mean you
0: know that's
6: No what you said to me one time was uh uh I was lucky to have you because you stopped <laughs> a lot of people from wanting to beat me up.
1: There's probably some truth to that. <laughs> so you ran with different cliques in high school. Yeah,
6: I mean, I always joked that Martin was like uh, the big man on campus. You know, he played football and hung out with all that crew. And I, I played sports as well, but you know, I hung out with a group of kids who just were jokesters, and then you know, I got heavy into the punk rock scene with a few friends and really became very rebellious in a very anti-establishment kind of way, whereas Martin was literally part of the establishment. Um, I and- was a jerk in high school. Like
0: I look back now and it's like, oh my God, I, I was the person that I wish no one would ever become.
5: <laughs> yeah, like, so we were very different.
0: When- that's what happens when you assimilate and you assimilate hard.
5: Yeah. Um,
0: You know, I remember, um, you know, like through high school, you know, like people, my friends saying to me, you know, they're like, but you're white. It's like, I'm not white, (laughs) you know, Um, because I didn't show any signs of being korean other than mm-hmm. the way i look
5: mm-hmm. you
0: know mm-hmm. i didn't bring korean food to school i don't think my friends even came to my house until
5: mm-hmm.
0: after high school mm-hmm. um i mean i didn't want you know because like you know our grandmother didn't you know how many didn't speak speak english yeah. you know and like when she would answer the phone you know i mean i would be so embarrassed when she would answer the phone and i knew my friends were going to call like <sighs> you know because you know, like, kids will take any little bit that they yeah. can and just pounce on you, you know? And, yeah, there is uh, We Just, just played, talking to we, you all we, now, all these
6: stories are coming back. <laughs> we just grew up different. I think we approached, you know, I think it's partly our personalities and partly yeah. our, the, you know, who we were exposed to and so on. I mean, lots of factors. But, you know, I was definitely much closer with my parents growing up than than martin was and but that was not you know because i mean i think martin would say i was the favorite but i think it was i put in more effort too um i was
0: also i was a middle child so you know there's that.
6: <laughs> and you know but i also stayed more connected to the korean community mm-hmm. through yeah. the primarily at that point in time through the church mm-hmm. um And then I was always just more curious. And I mean, I wanted to figure things out. I just had that investigative mind of wanting to figure out like, you know, um, why my parents did X, Y, or Z with us. And and as a little more persistent, I think, than Martin was in those early years, but then carrying on to into college and height and graduate school, like, you know, That's why I study what I study. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to unravel and 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 make sense out of all those dynamics that as a kid you didn't fully understand.
5: Mm -hmm.
6: And and the comics provide a way for me, at least, when I when I'm writing, coming up with the ideas of writing them, it's trying to put into simple
5: words, right? what those experiences were and and what is it from our perspective and their perspective
2: yeah i i really appreciate how you mentioned that because um i mean both of you have shared how with this comic strip through this creative process like back then when when you were growing up like such like you know you didn't you didn't have comic characters that kind of looked look 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 looked like look like that look like that sorry and thinking back from your experiences together and also thinking about experiences a current generation can relate to especially children so I wanna um, congratulate you Dr. Lee on your TED talk and thank you for bringing light to a population that we don't talk much about in the field regard to early onset of discriminative experiences. So um, we learned about your TED talk in your um, recent Twitter post, um, which you share about how discussing discrimination with children can heal racial trauma and improve outcomes for future generations. So I guess we're curious to understand mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on generational trauma caused by racism? And what is the best way to have this discussion Mm -hmm. with this younger generation?
6: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up and letting me self-promote and plug it for a second. So it Mm -hmm. was a TEDx Minneapolis talk. It's actually going to premiere on September 24th. So uh, for those who are local, and then I think it'll get released. This link right here. Yes, (laughs)
2: we've got all the. We we'll make sure to get that link. Thank you.
6: And then, um, and then it'll be available on YouTube uh, afterwards. But um, without giving it away too much, because I think I'd get in trouble by the organizers. Yeah, you know, part of what I've been trying to do, and Martin,
5: that we've been trying to do together, is really encourage individuals and families and educators
6: to create a space so we can all have these conversations rather than to just silence them or internalize them, right? Or be alone and grappling with them. And I think, you know, all of the things that Martin and I have shared about our upbringing are things that we quietly endured on our own, you know, even, even between like, even like what Martin experienced and what I experienced, he doesn't know the things I experienced and Mm -hmm. I don't know all the things he's experienced. Right. Mm
5: -hmm. I mean, I
6: think we just sort of siloed and lived those sort of experiences by ourselves rather than coming together and creating an open conversation and support for each other. And I think that's the thing with racial trauma
5: is that, um, you know, it does make you feel very alone. Yeah. And so, uh,
6: the you know, my TEDx talk and I think our comic is really about how do we amplify the experiences that all of us have had mm-hmm. as um, children of immigrants or immigrants yourselves or, right, as um, minoritized
5: uh, people like you know um giving privileging our voice for once
1: yeah yeah how how did um the both of you uh, what was the process like with this radical healing you know like going towards also healing your relationship as brothers what was that process like
5: don't even know where to be i mean you know like you said before you know everything that we do is through text Mm -hmm.
0: you know and i think i think just because we are brothers and we Mm -hmm. have and we're older now and we just understand each other in this kind of unspoken unwritten way it's because we're family you know and we know each other well enough that you know even though we primarily communicate through text, like I understand through the text, what he's saying, yeah. he understands through the text, what I'm saying, you know, um, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why that is, yeah. but you know, it, it, it just is, you know, like, he yeah. know, like he'll know, like, oh, that's going to push his button, you know, and he'll either push it or not, you know? <laughs> um, but I think, you know, like what he's, what Rich has been doing and, in his writing in the comic and what I've been trying to show is that our experiences are valid. Our experiences are real, you know, and, and a great example is, you know, everything that's been happening right now with passing of queen Elizabeth. Right. Mm -hmm. And you see all this stuff on social media and you see, you know, the majority of white people posting rest in peace, all this stuff. Right. then you see people of color who are like, what the heck? like, are you kidding me? You know, like, I'm sorry she died, but geez. Mm -hmm,
5: mm -hmm.
0: But, you know, like if you just only see those posts where it's like, you know, God save the queen and this, that, and the other thing, and that's all you see, then you buy into that narrative, you know, and, and our comic provides this other narrative that is just as real just as valid, and based on experiences, when you come from the underprivileged, you know when you come from the groups that have been silenced, and um you know when, we, when I when I first started doing the comic, and I would send them out to friends and post them, and high school friends were like, "I had no idea you went through that." It's like, well, yeah, because. How would you under I you know, how would you even understand, you know, that we had a cross burned in our front yard? Like you wouldn't understand because that's never gonna happen to you.
1: That was actually a true story. I read that in the comic. That's that was the, a true story.
0: That was the first comic. Mm-hmm. That was the first, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Um
0: and you know, we've, you know, we've talked about it since and um, you know, our dad basically we told him what happened and he said bad people did that. And that was all, that was the only discussion we ever had. Mm. And, you know, Rich can tell you, you know, like it wasn't until like 30 something years later that
6: we actually talked about it. Learn more here.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Our creative process. Um, you know, early on, I think Martin would,
6: before the comic sort of came into the form it is now, when he was, you know, he was working out the art, he would send my brother King and I the, he would text us the, the drawings, then we'd both kind of comment or we'd say, oh, you should do one on this or something, um, and then. Um, Martin and I just started communicating more about these ideas.
0: And I think. I'm just going to interrupt you for a second. You know, I think back at that time. And I think um, in that moment, our older brother was in the process of moving. Mm -hmm. Right. So I would text these to both of them and to get feedback or just Mm -hmm. to share. Yeah. And our older brother King was like, "Um, aren't comics supposed to be funny? Hmm. Because they were all dealing with childhood trauma issues, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and so and so couple of that with the fact that he's moving in the process of moving. Um. So he kind of stopped replying to the texts. So then I just started individually texting just Rich.
5: Mm-hmm. Um. And
0: mm-hmm. that's kind of how I think that all. Like I think if King had not been moving,
1: mm-hmm.
0: then you know the other ones by Lee by the Lee brothers would probably be all three brothers and it would probably be much more complicated.
6: <laughs> we have to divide up the hundreds of dollars that we're making <laughs> right. three I mean, way. Easier to divide by two. Yeah. <laughs> we put the pennies in two piles. Right. Um. So, yeah, I mean, but early on, Martin, I remember made a comment about how he knew how to illustrate the emotions or the feelings, um, but he didn't always have the right words. Yeah. They were very angry. Martin, yeah, Martin would kind of come up with a comic idea and would be super angry. And I'm like, well, that's let's there's gotta be more than just the anger. Yeah. There's more than just the emotion to these things.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: There's a thought there's a you know a piece of wisdom or some sort of nugget, and so I think that's where being a psychologist and doing research more broadly in these areas, I was able to come with a language right
5: mm-hmm.
6: a vocabulary that helped flesh out a lot of what Martin was feeling or reacting to and it is kind of similar to just who we are as people i mean martin is much more of a reaction you know oriented person and i'm much more of a let's sort of be, you know take time to process
2: mm-hmm. and yeah but i think i think that's beautiful cuz i think that's like the yin and yang and that's how you know you kind of have your creative process going and when you kind of spoke about earlier dr lee about the the creative process of the emotion of anger it it made me think about how anger and sadness sometimes can be two sides of the same coin and Mm. how you know you brought that language to also make to kind of process and also like heal through that of like, okay, how do we kind of share the wisdom in this piece as well?
6: Yeah. I mean, early on, I think Martin, you made yeah, Martin made a comic about how we were joking one time and then he made a comic about how he's the id and I'm the ego. And in some ways when, you know, Donna, you brought up the radical healing framework Mm -hmm.
5: that,
6: um, Helen Neville and yes. others uh colleagues have developed. I think in some ways that's if we want to take that Freudian analogy of it and ego a step further, it's kind of the superego,
5: mm-hmm. right?
6: It's sort of our moral, the moral compass that's guiding
5: yeah. the work,
6: right? You know, how can we keep always in mind that the purpose of the comic. It's not just to vent. Mm
5: -hmm. No.
6: Right. Um, And it's not just to toe the party line. Right. It's about how can we create this space to give voice to people who haven't had that opportunity and to validate their experiences and to do what's right. Yeah. Right. To show a different perspective that's just as um, valid, if not more. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that's our that's our moral compass yeah
2: and I think I think it even speaks to you know how can we also be better accomplices because we see that in your comic strip where it's not just focused on like Asian characters, you also have like different characters from Mm -hmm. different, like other minoritized communities. Like I've never seen a South Asian character in a comic strip. And when I saw that, it just made my heart so full because I think I had seen it during Diwali and or like, um, I think there was some comic that got released during that festival time. And so it's beautiful to see that creative process also Mm -hmm. unfold in you know, even like the name of our podcast, like how do we bring about solidarity and how do we kind of be better accomplices to one another?
5: Well, you know, this goes back to the Peanuts comic strip and, you know,
6: ours being a racial parody of it as sort of the origin story. But, you know, early on, Martin was doing a lot of, archival work on the history of the peanuts and you know one of the few characters of color in, in the peanuts comic strip is franklin and yep. you know, i think martin you were saying that they he only appears in what like less than one percent or something less than yep. half a percent <laughs> point,
1: point zero zero 0.007 i read yeah. that
6: yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know and and you know, in those early interviews, Charles Schulz said, "You know, well he it, he struggled with presenting Franklin as a main character or as a featured character because he didn't know that lived experience. We don't know the lived experience of all of our characters as well, but I do think that when you have cultural humility and that you just take that bit of time to understand history." Mm-hmm. Right and develop empathy. I think it, it is possible.
5: Mm-hmm. Right. There are universal processes that allow us to try to speak for different communities of color. Yeah. Right? People with different
6: backgrounds and, and histories. Um, we may not always get it right, and sometimes we do worry a little bit, like, oh mm-hmm. gosh, how do we frame this? Yeah. And so, and it is true that you know the main character Diggy does sort of, you know, his voice is clear, and that is our voice, yeah, right. Um, and so that's sort of the anchor to yeah to the rest of it.
1: Is Diggy you, Rich?
6: Yeah, so Diggy <laughs> was my childhood nickname oh. that my grandmother used to use, and and it's a it's a Korean pronunciation of Dicky. Uh, um, but you know, as a kid, that's all I heard in the family. And then it was an embarrassment and, and super shameful to have to ever hear that in any sort of public space. Um so, you know, it's only been in my later years that I've actually come back to being like, Okay, you know, I mean for years I just I people would say, What was your nickname? I know I didn't have one. Uh,
5: <laughs> you know
0: yeah Um, yeah so most of the time the diggy character is rich um but because because he's the writer and i'm the illustrator um i would say maybe about half the time he'll actually say this character says this this Mm -hmm. character says that and the other half of the time it's just text And I, have, Mm -hmm. and so I decide who the characters are going to be, you know, and there's other times that I'll just change the characters that he's given me because I feel like, Oh, I want to highlight this character today or whatever. Um, but he is, you know, the diggy character is kind of the primary character that things kind of revolve around. Um, you know, and, you know, so then I just kind of have to feel like who, which character am I feeling today that should be, you know, the other one in the, in panel with him Mm -hmm. and um yeah i mean you know so our our process is pretty fluid in that sense um and it all it all seems to work together like this morning i made one and he said change this character it's it's stronger with this character i'm like okay
1: (laughs) i love that i love the dynamic that you have yeah I mean, I I, I I love that right now.
2: Also, we're able to like witness that and be part of that. Like, I don't want this podcast to end. I want to keep talking to you all. <laughs> um, but I, I would guess I was curious to understand, Um, do each of you have any favorite characters from the strip? Or like, do you have like a fam- favorite comic strip that's your favorite so far? Mm,
0: I don't have a favorite character. I mean, I- since I created all the characters are all my favorite characters. Um, You know, I think the comics that I like, well, my drawing style has changed over the course of the past year and a half. Mm -hmm. So I like the present comics that I'm drawing, but as far as story goes, I think um, there was a series that I made back early, which were an experience that I had when I was little. Which might inform a lot, but you know, they, Rich and King, when I was like five, both said that I was adopted. And my parents, our parents were like, oh, yeah, 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 you were adopted and said I was found underneath a bridge, you know, and I carried that my entire life because we never talked about it. It was like, it was like literally a 30 second conversation in the back of the car, like coming home from the skating rink i remember exactly like you know, we were going over the railroad tracks and that's when they said you were adopted we found you under a bridge that's why your skin is darker that's why you have so much hair on your body these are all reasons why you're adopted i mean i carried that through into my adulthood you know because we never talked about it and so no one said no you're not you know they it, you know um so it I think it's just one of those things. I mean, like that story in and of itself kind of captures I think what it's like growing up as a child of immigrant parents in the mm-hmm. United States.
6: Okay, know? so so the so let me put some cultural context yeah, <laughs> to this.
2: That's where the super ego is coming. So it wasn't
6: that we said he's a you are adopted. That's why we found you under the bridge. It was Our parents told all of us
5: individually that we were found under a bridge Mm. because that is a Korean adage that parents use with children as a Mm. way to facilitate
6: filial piety,
5: Mm.
6: right? You need to always be thankful to us
5: yeah, mm-hmm.
6: right. That we, you know, so whether you're birthed by us or not, we are the ones raising you, mm-hmm. right? So he and I understood at a young age that when our parents said to us, "We found you under a bridge," and it kind of heightens that anxiety in you, like right. But we knew why they were doing it. Like yeah. we kind of figured out. Martin's a little slower. <laughs> so we didn't realize that we were traumatizing him.
5: Yeah. Saying oh. that in the car.
6: we thought it was funny. Yeah, because we got it.
5: Yeah, we got the see, metaphor.
6: I, but as the middle child, <laughs> oh, right?
5: Yeah.
0: So I mean, well, it, there were all these things growing up. So like, yeah. I remember because I was in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so our hominy, our grandmother,
5: mm-hmm. right?
0: I, they would always make fun of me because they would say, oh, you're her favorite, you know, because like she would put me to sleep. I would cuddle with her and, you know, like, you know, I was her favorite, right? So they would always (laughs) make fun of me because of that. And they would gang up on me. So I remember they would take, they would grab me and stick me underneath the mattress between the mattress (laughs) and the box spring and jump on it until like I was on the verge of passing out, right? You know, and then add to the fact that I have all this body hair. Nobody else in my family has body hair. Right. You know, I'm darker than everyone else, you know, and this, that, and the other thing. And, and, you know, that's why how many loves you so much is because, you know, you're adopted and you know, like all these things. Right. Are being reinforced. Yeah. (laughs) And I have no one to talk to about it. So it it wasn't until I was like in my early twenties and I was back home visiting. something or i I was home whatever and there was a photocopy of my our mother um from the newspaper she had been featured in the local paper
5: Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and there's a
0: picture of her and she had all these photocopies of it and i'm on the phone and i'm doodling with a sharpie and i draw a pair of glasses and a beard on her face and i look at it and i'm like oh my god that's me (laughs) and it wasn't until that moment that I was like I look exactly like my mom you know and I was like oh I think that they were just making that all up (laughs) and then it was like literally like what I don't know maybe five six years ago
5: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: I tell Rich this story and he's like that's just a tale that parents tell their kids (laughs)
1: Like, I have now you to tell me though, because this definitely parallels my relationship. Your relationship parallels my relationship with my brother. And I was the one who told him that he was adopted. But I was kind of a little bit more on the mean side because I told him we found him in a trash can. So, oh my gosh, like the trauma that I put my brother through yes you should call your brother (laughs) i will yeah
2: (laughs) i think i'm going to have to call my brother too i'm the oldest oldest sibling and we're five years apart and yeah we don't look related and um i would always say i was like yeah why don't you, you why do you think you don't look like daddy and mom like you know, like you were adopted. Like, why do you think you spend so much time in grandma's house? It was just like to make fun and like banter when we were kids. And then he ended up asking my dad, like when he was like a teenager, he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, Pooja told me that I'm adopted. And I got a dosage from my father after that. But um, it, I, I could relate to some of um, what both of you shared.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for that. Like such an insight really uh truly appreciate it,
5: yeah, you know I mean, just to because I study adoption, I have to sort of say yeah four things on this which of is you know it's easy to use you know comments like you're adopted
6: to right um as a joke, but it also yeah. is a way of privileging a certain type of relationship another and stigmatizing another. Yeah. You know, going back to when our parents would say, we found you under the bridge, you know, it was less about whether you're adopted or, you know, you were birthed by by your caregivers or family, but it was more about, you know, regardless of how you came here to this family, you owe us. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it 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 it's a metaphor like you so know. so much of our culture like they teach us to like metaphors.
6: Yeah, and so I think that was the thing I guess, you know,
2: um No, yeah. and and I'm 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 really happy that you shared that because in the field of psychology and just the mental health there are a lot of terms we just do you use throw around like loosely, like not meaning that intention. So I really appreciate how we need to be more cognizant of you know the language we're using and how it could also have like a greater adverse yeah. impact on, you know, people of that age or um right. like how they might be holding this, like as you as um Mr. Martin shared, like also like, you know, later on in their life. So it, it's really important to be cognizant of that.
0: Well I think that's the other thing is that, you know, through the comic, you know, I've come to recognize, you know, these parts of me that, um, you know, what Rich would tell me, you know, like I have all this internalized racism that I'm dealing with, you know, and, you know, every comic that I create, I, that I draw out, you know, I learn something new about myself, about my role, about society, like, you know, just, kind of like deprogramming myself from years of like, this is the one perspective, you know, and now being able to see, um, yeah, just, to, you know, just taking my past and my present and the future and bringing it together in a way that is healthier for me and hopefully healthier healthier for people who are reading it.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's definitely helped. I'm going through a lot of like oppression through my PhD program, through like my practicum sites and just through like leadership positions I hold. And I like look forward to like going to like the Twitter page or the Instagram page and looking at your comic strips and it has given me healing in so many ways that I can't even put like words to, so um, just very, very grateful for everything that you both are doing and just really inspired by the expressive process and the creative process of not just like wanting to bring everyone together and wanting to um, you know yeah I, I can't say more to that, but you know what I mean.
6: Thank you. You know, uh, we are trying to evolve the comic, you know, not just in terms of the artistic style as Mm -hmm. Martin's, you know, refining characters. Um, But we also made a conscious decision after we published our uh, book. Raise it up, Donna. Uh, Yeah, I was going
2: to ask earlier. Thank you. (laughs)
6: um, After we published our book, uh, which covers the full first year of the comic now we're trying to publish comics daily that are more driven by current events and um, concurrently also developing comics that are more about our childhood, you know, Mm -hmm. and then also those that are more about um, the experiences of kids of color, whether they're ours or not. Um, Because I, you know, early on you talked about, you know, what what do you have planned for publishing other kinds of books? And I do think you want to have a book that's more about our like a childhood memoir. Um yeah. and then another that's more just about um, you know, the lives of kids of color that maybe could be used more for educational purposes.
1: Yeah.
5: Um, yeah.
6: you know, whereas the daily comics might be touching upon things that are happening, you know, yesterday or a week ago. Yeah.
5: Um,
6: like Clean like Queen
5: Elizabeth's death, for example. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, so there's, you know, a
0: good amount of um, kind of what I put under the category of immigrant stories, yeah. you know, that are created, but are just sitting in a folder,
5: mm-hmm. you know,
0: and so potentially that could be the next book, but at the same time, also writing down ideas and working out things for telling our full childhood story, you know, because there are stories that I'm now just hearing, you know, because... Mm-hmm. Our dad lives with Rich.
5: Yeah. You know,
0: Rich is conducting these like kind of little mini interviews with our dad and and like yeah. getting information that we didn't know. Yeah. You know, and being able to put that in a in 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 comic form of like these, you know, and we did a little bit of that in the first mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but expanding on those stories because there's so much more that, you know, I think people not only you know like as an education piece for the privileged you know but also as an education piece for those who have also experienced similar things that they don't feel like they're alone yeah. um and trying to bridge that gap between those two um you know because like I said earlier you know like I'm always learning I'm mm-hmm. still learning and um and I have much more to learn you know um because, you know, there are times that he'll text me something and I won't say anything, but then I have to get on Google. And I'm like, what the heck is he talking about?
1: <laughs> I look forward to your next books. Yeah. You know? And I can only imagine how, you know, that is also kind of like a process of healing for y'all, um, you know, to to hear each other's stories that you did not hear growing up Um 'Cause storytelling is such a important and vital part of um many Asian cultures that yes. you know we've neglected. So this is I, I truly look forward to that. Thank you.
6: We have a few copies left of our second printing of the book. So click here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. I love the plugs.
6: <laughs> and also, you know, um, there are educators who are using the book and libraries yes. that have been starting to feature the book. And, you know, Martin is, you know, making this his livelihood. And if there are, you know, people who will want to bring Martin in to hear his side of the story and the artistic side and, oh. and things, that's also an opportunity um, because he's already doing that for some other, um, schools and programs so um i think that's the other value of the comic is that it can be a vehicle to um, educate children right yeah Um, going back to the very beginning like you know when we were all growing up right you read dick and jane books or whatever the equivalent of that is today right there were no books about donna and puja and martin and
5: rich
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no and I'm happy you mentioned the educational part because I'm a TA for the multicultural and diversity class. And I've actually been thinking of how can I bring about the comic strip into um, the class and like have discussions around that. So um, I might reach out to each of you um, if there is an opportunity to like guest lecture for that class. But that's something I've been thinking about. So thank you for
1: sharing that. You're welcome. All right, so um, is there anything else that you would like, either you, Martin, or Rich, uh, you'd like to add before we conclude? No, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today.
2: We hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information about today's guests and their social media links, you can click on the description links of the episode. Pooja Mamidana and Dr. Donna De Manari host this podcast. Our podcast team includes our podcast interns, Alexis Rios from the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, and James Hopper from Wheaton College in Norton, Massachusetts. We also want to acknowledge our production team, David DeVito and Rachel Sheffer. If you would like to know more about us or to watch video clips of this interview, then follow us on Instagram at apadiv45__presidentialtaskforce. On Twitter at APA Div 45 underscore Coakley or on YouTube and Facebook at Dr. Kevin Coakley, APA Division 45 Presidential Task
1: Force. Strength of solidarity. The strength of solidarity.